The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome to Scorebox. Big day ahead for the markets. These are your headlines. COP28 negotiators leave out any reference to phase out of fossil fuels in a new draft communique, but do get tougher on the use of hydrocarbons. The S&P 500 hits its highest level in nearly two years as the US headline inflation slows, adding to investor expectations of a Fed hold today. Uh, amid signs of a, a cut, hopefully for some, by mid-2024. Ukraine President Vladimir Zelensky makes his case for additional funding from the United States. While the country's Deputy Prime Minister tells CNBC she hopes for progress when E leaders discuss Kyiv's potential membership of the bloc. Causes uh, very, um, uh, very mixed feelings in Ukraine when we are ahead of the decision of the European leaders. Uh, to not knowing whether the, the commitment will be sealed or disengagement will take place. And Walgreens is reportedly holding talks over a potential separation of its UK-based Boots pharmacy chain, with a London listing among the options being explored. Let's dig into that big data point that crossed yesterday. The U.S. consumer prices edging higher in November. Core CPI increased to 0.3% on month and 4% from a year ago. That was in line with estimates and little change from October. The headline CPI also rose, but by less uh, up 0.1% on month and 3.1% on year. But clearly, uh, this is the precursor to what is a fairly significant day for markets. What did you... Oh, we'll come to the next bit. What did you think of that day? I thought it was unsettlingly high for those who are looking for the spring rate cuts, for those who are looking for the first six months of the year rate cuts. Don't get me wrong, I think there are counter signals out there. But when you've got... Core services, ex-housing index, moving up 0.4% month on month. The rise was, the, was stronger than the 0.2% gain. That's moving in the opposite direction from those who are looking for a rate cut as well. This is stubbornly high. Yeah, this has always been the point for a lot of the hawks over at the Fed. Take a look at the core numbers and don't forget they look at the PCE. And they are concerned that we're not coming off that high watermark. And until you see it in those core numbers, uh, they're not talking about rate cuts. If it settles at 4%, which it has the last two months, that is still double, double the target rate. Well, the latest CNBC Fed survey sees the Federal Reserve beginning to cut rates, as we've mentioned, in June, whilst raising the probability of a soft landing to almost 50%. How they know this, I find extraordinary. But cuts may not be as aggressive as the money market are estimating. Now, respondency rates coming down 85 basis points next year, way below the 120 priced into the futures market. There is so much to discuss here as well. But look, 
There are three parts to today's um, decision, and we can almost certainly ignore the one that normally gets the most headlines. Is there going to be a rate hike mm -hmm. or a rate cut? Absolutely not. It's going to be a rate hold. Yes, I mean, if it isn't, that would right. be seismic for the markets. Yeah. So the, then in second order, in, in silver place in terms of our attention, it, it comes what Powell's got to say. And, and I know that you lot out there are paid so much money to analyse and make decisions on what Jay Powell's got to say. But you know what he's going to say. You know a version of what he's going to say. We think we're nearer done than not, and we think we've got to remain vigilant to the risks on both sides. But actually, the latest data is showing that we still need to keep rates at a higher level for longer, perhaps in restrictive territory. We, we, we've done all that. The really exciting thing is this SEP, the dot plot, the summary of economic projections as well. That's where we get inside of the head, the, un, under the hood or inside the head, uh, like inside John Malkovich or, of Jay Powell and co. as well. That's where we learn what they really think about GDP, about inflation and about the rate path. Yeah, the market's positioned differently to the Fed in 2024 and 2025. So that is the big uh, point of contention. I think what's also interesting here, away from just the macro and the dot plots, is the psychology because... There have been a couple of other points raised that this is going to be a presidential year in 2024 where they're front-loading any rate cuts might be useful to get away from the politics later on next year. Difficult That's to do. That's something that some market Dif participants are talking about, that oh. if there's no cuts, then is it a, a free run for President Trump to the next election? That has well and truly already been discussed in some circles. You're right. Ring-fencing away from the election is something that central banks want. They want to be seen not to be getting involved yeah. in the election and swaying uh, views either way. But, but the truth of the matter is, you can't... I love those people who are saying and I hear the same people that you do, I, but they can't have rate cuts if the data which we are dependent on doesn't show that the US economy should have rate cuts. Yeah. Now the other point I was going to continue on when you talk about the personality now in the Fed decision, it's not just the politics but also the psychology. We've been talking for many, many months now about Volcker-like characteristics and suddenly just as we get closer to getting off the plateau, we're talking about parking Volcker over here and thinking back to behaving more like other central bankers in recent years and decades. So I think it's really interesting. Are we going to get still Volcker-like characteristics from the central bank because they are concerned about another overshoot? Will they try and stay on this higher for longer path more than the market is predicting at this stage. And there's a lot of talk in the market today as to whether the Fed could start to recalibrate, start signaling that those rate cuts are coming next year at some point. But I think it might just be the opposite. The market is not getting that feature, the Volcker-like theory that's now gone into the psychology for some of the central bankers. What do you mean? When you, when you say the Volcker-like theory, what are you saying? Well, the whole point was that we had central bankers that were in that camp of, you know, don't fight the Fed, uh, do whatever it takes, that type of mentality. Very much the opposite of what Paul Volcker did when he was trying to stamp out inflation. We've been talking for many months now that central banks are trying to get ahead of the markets, given they miss transitory, and are trying to prove that they're very strong in terms of tackling any overshoot of inflation, that they won't allow second round effects, they won't allow a second reigniting of inflation. The market seem to have just dropped that now as they've gone into 2024, just looking at, look, this is the time frame, this is the number of cuts. But those Volcker characteristics that have been adopted by Jay Powell and others, I don't think are quickly going to be left aside as they consider the rate cut path from here. Okay, that's interesting. I mean, I th I th I th the thing is, we're looking over here the whole time. 
we're, we're looking at the Fed, the rates, and what have you. And, and the fact of the matter is, the latest data show that Americans are paying vast amount more for their credit across the border. I've got the figures here in front of me, but I don't need to go. But I wonder if we should be looking elsewhere for what's really affecting the US economy. And I wonder if we need to be looking a lot more detail, and I've I made the point before as well, uh, about the, the tightening via quantitative tightening as well, because that is what is extra extracting the juice. It's what extracting the lending ability uh, from the US economy. And if you tighten aggressively on that front as well, uh, at the same time when you've got uh, a government which needs to carry on raising vast amounts of money because it's running big deficits into the near and medium and foreseeable future as well. That is creating all kinds of other dynamics for the market as well. As well. So I, I, I see what the respondents on that survey are saying. It's that we are going to have this most likely soft landing scenario. But the, for not the knowledge of that, I find it quite extraordinary how they know that when we've got all these other massive tensions going on and all the other factors going yeah. on globally, including, dare I say it, China. Well, that's why I thought you were going to go China. I didn't know you were going to go QT, quantitative tightening. I thought I you were going to bring... Well, I, I thought QT, you were going to bring up China. Government deficit. I think, I think China is the most under... How the world isn't concerned of what's going on in China economically, I don't know. So we didn't get the fiscal stimulus, the, the extraordinary easing from China that some in the market had because, positioned around this because year. Because can't. Well, next year, do we get a little bit more? And what does that do to the narrative for central banks that are looking at cutting? Does that do any of the heavy lifting for the Federal Reserve, for instance? If I was Chinese, if I, no, if I was a, a, a Chinese citizen now, and I've just seen what's happened to, let's say I own one property I live in and one property I've invested in, because that's kind of what a lot of middle-class Chinese are in at the moment as well. And I'd seen the cataclysmic events in the property sector as well. If I have a government that's encouraging me to go out and spend, I, well, forget if I'm Chinese, I am me, I'm Steve Sedgwick. I'm, unfortunately, I live in this, this body for 53 years. I'm not gonna go out and spend more money. Yeah. I, there's no way, if my finances have been shrunk, but, I've, but I see my children are unemployed because it's way over 21% because that's the last figure we had, but we, a lot of people are extrapolating. So I'm seeing my children unemployed. I'm seeing my property portfolio decline aggressively. I'm seeing very little performance on my stock portfolio as well. I don't have a social safety net. I'm, I'm, I'm in a middle income trap because I never, as, as a state, as a country, as a nation, we never really got above that as well as well. And I see my government and my country with vast amounts of debt well am i really going to go out and spend more money yeah the safety net didn't matter for many years when all asset classes pretty much were going up in china everything that the chinese were punting on was going in the right direction so that safety net equation didn't matter but of course it matters now as prospects differ and as some of those asset classes fall fairly aggressively but let's uh, move on to u.s markets there's a fascinating point here one for you actually i know that you love a lot of the technicals here and it was interesting that we've had not much volatility in the market. We've barely strayed by 1% on some of the market moves. Uh, the, um, what's been volunteered now is the amount of options expiry coming to the market and that this may be having impact. Um, $5 trillion in US stock options set to expire Friday. 80% in the S&P 500 linked contracts. The largest such uh, expiration in at least 20 years according to some of the data that's been crunched, which might be keeping us trapped in a range according to some market participants. Uh... I don't know if that's true. I don't know. Because that's why I'm tossing it your way. I thought well, you were because I lo I lo and I, and I, lo I love a witching. I've experienced, I've been involved as a trader in many, many witchings over the years. But I love watching a witching. And, and that's amazing that there's such a large number of options out there. But, but the beautiful thing about an option is it's a creative concept. When I, open, I can create an, an, an OI, an open interest, by buying a contract or selling a contract, that means there are two sides to that trade. 
which means there are as many shorts out there on that volatility position as there are longs as well. So for those people, uh, then they have enormous risk of whether their options are going to be worth one or zero at expiry, whether they need to cover this position or not. It's going to expire worth this as well. And as we get nearer and nearer to the expiry, I, I look at where the pin risk is, to be honest. I know that's a slightly technical term, but look at where the strike is with the most OI on it, the most open interest as well. Uh, and just look at whether people are going to close out this position beforehand or not. But look, VIX is at 12. There's nothing subtle about it. It is the lowest level one of the lowest levels yep. I've ever seen in 35 well, years. Well, that's been noted, as well as the moves and not more than 1% in either direction for 19 straight days. And uh, the argument being put forward is the technicals taking away from some of these large swings at this stage. So whether that then means that we get past uh, the end of the week and we see more volatility snap back into the markets, it's going to be key. But uh, more upside you saw just then, fourth positive session in a row for the major boards on uh, some of these yields, 4.72 on the two-year the 10-year, we're still low when we're below the 4.2% mark at this stage. And let's push on and get to Sophia Begg, who is economist and morning consult. Sophia, we've just been debating the Fed from here. What do you think the playbook is going to be on the back of what we hear later on today from the Federal Reserve? Hi, thanks for having me. So overall, the CPI print that came out yesterday was good news. And I think that that will be driving a lot of the Fed's um, decision to probably hold steady um, on rates today because um, inflation continues to come down. We see um, prices easing. Um, so that will give them the green flag to just go ahead and hold steady for the third meeting in a row. Sophia, some of the market are saying that, look, if the Fed's going to get going next year, it needs to start signaling that it's going to be cutting rates. When do you think that actually happens in practicality? So there's debate on when that's actually going to happen. Um, most people think it'll be around mid-year or later, although some folks think it could be earlier. The Fed isn't going to want to ease too soon, so I don't think it'll be earlier in the year. I think, if anything, it'll be mid-year to later 2024, because what they don't want to do is let up too soon and then inflation come back up again. Yeah, so so I mean that was the, the the Volcker Burns debate that I think Karen was was alluding to at the wall as well. Look, um, I, am I the only one who's looking at the shelter side of things, the service side of things, and saying we're nowhere near ready to cut rates yet if inflation is this hot? Historically, and, and I'll take Karen's uh, Volcker illusion there is it works if you sort out the inflation first and worry about the recession later. You have a, a queue of worries, and you've got to sort out the former before you can the latter. Is the Fed, do you think, prepared to dip into recession in order to solve the inflationary problem? You know, I think you're 100% right to point to those two portions of inflation that we definitely shouldn't just shrug aside, and that's housing and services excluding housing. So housing is still printing at 6.5% year over year, which is quite high. You know, we'll see that come down because housing CPI is lagged to housing prices. And we've already seen it come down from its highs, but it's still much too high. And housing is a third of CPI. Um, then the other portion is services core inflation. That actually ticked up in November. So even though this inflation print was good news overall, we're moving in the right direction. There's still those pain points, housing and services. Um, and without those coming down, we won't be able to get down to that 2% target. You know, as you mentioned, Volcker and Burns, I think Volcker is on the mind of many people at, uh, at the Fed, um, including Jay Powell, 
um, and they don't want to make mistakes of the past and ease up too slowly. So I think that they will be maybe a little bit more cautious. And we might hear them signal that tomorrow that they're not done here. The, the fight against inflation hasn't been won. Sophia, um, we have a brilliant team uh, of data crunchers and quant team at CNBC in the US as well. And they they, they give us periodic updates on the cost of finance in the States. And I'll just give a couple of numbers because I find it unbelievably fascinating. Uh, 30-year mortgage rate, only down to 7% now. It was near 8, of course, at its worst. But it was 4.3 in March 2022. Um, Credit card rates were 16.3, now 20.7 as well. Used vehicle loans were 9.1, are 11.6. What I'm getting to in the stunningly roundabout kind of way is how tough is it for the American consumer at the moment that's still getting wage increases, that still by and large is keeping their job? hopefully, and for those who want to work in America as well. But are they beginning to feel the pinch of higher rates or not? You know, the data shows that not really. Uh, It seems like people just continue to keep spending and all measures of economic activity keep blowing it out of the park. Um, You know, GDP was extremely strong in the third quarter. It was actually revised up later. Um, We keep seeing spending go up. The consumer seems to have cash on hand. You know, I don't know how long that's going to last. As you mentioned, rates are really high. People are taking on more debt. Um, Those who may have more credit card debt, they might start to feel this catch up to them at some point. We have that excess savings that accumulated after the pandemic. But when will that run out? Are people relying on loans to finance some of this behavior? It's not really clear, but it seems like right now, Folks are hanging on for the most part. There are people in certain pockets that may be struggling. And, you know, if you want to buy a house right now or buy a new car right now, it may be out of reach or unaffordable. But for the most part, people are doing better than anyone could have expected at this point. Sophia, what's the relevance of the non-farm payrolls report as the Fed meets today? We had a number of close to 200,000 jobs created, the unemployment rate going in the wrong direction at this point in the cycle, uh, as uh, you know, upsetting as it can be for people to, to lose their jobs. Typically, when you do have tighter credit conditions, the unemployment rate actually starts to creep high, not falling. So what does that mean in terms of the Fed looking at the wages a story that we're seeing, a wage price spiral they've also been concerned about for many months? It's definitely something the Fed is going to want to keep their eyes on, you know, bringing it back to CPI and the the services portion of inflation. Services are more driven by wages than other parts of inflation because a service has labor as an input cost. So if wages continue to be extremely strong and unemployment is just so low that the labor market is tight enough to continue to bring wages up and spiral and perhaps continue to put that pressure on services inflation, then we could run into some issues. It's definitely something that the Fed is going to want to keep its eyes on. And, you know, Jay Powell brings up meeting after meeting services, core um, core services, excluding housing. We got to watch that portion of inflation. And that's why. On the other hand, this is kind of good news. What we, what the Fed wants is a soft landing. And so the job market's doing well and inflation's coming down. So we don't want to be too pessimistic about things going well. So it's something to keep an eye on, but maybe it's good news as well. Sophia, thank you very much for joining us today. Sophia Begg with us, Economist Morning Consult. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen will be speaking exclusively to CNBC later on today. Don't miss that interview at 4.30 p.m. CET.
Coming up on the show, the UN General Assembly passes a resolution calling for an immediate ceasefire in Gaza. We'll bring you the latest after the break. Plus, Bitcoin prices slide as focus turns to the FOMC meeting. We'll discuss the outlook for crypto this hour. And later on this morning, we'll be hearing from the CEO of French department store chain, Printemps. Charlotte will be speaking to him about the outlook for French retail as we head into the festive period. We'll bring you that interview at 10.15 CET. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Welcome back. The UN has passed a resolution calling for an immediate humanitarian ceasefire in Gaza. Three quarters of member states back the move. US President Joe Biden told Israel its indiscriminate bombing of civilians is hurting international support. The American leader said the US backed its longtime ally, but that all sides have a humanitarian responsibility. We have made it clear to the Israelis and are aware that the, independent, the, the safety of innocent Palestinians is still of great concern. And so the actions they're taking must be consistent with attempting to do everything possible to prevent innocent Palestinian civilians from being, being hurt, murdered, killed, lost, etc. And uh, look, um, it doesn't uh, lessen the responsibility going after Hamas to innocent Palestinians and, and, uh, and Hamas. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky has visited Washington, D.C. in a bid to rally support for fresh military aid. President Biden warned that not passing the package would be a victory for Russia, while Republicans continue to call for spending oversight and a clearer strategy after their meeting with Ukraine's leader. Zelensky's visit to Washington comes ahead of a crucial EU summit in Brussels. Leaders are looking to overcome Hungarian opposition to fresh funding and accession talks. Speaking to Bloomberg, the political director to Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban said the country could lift its veto threat to Ukraine funding if the EU releases billions of euros of financing withheld from Budapest over rule of law concerns. Sylvia has more. Sylvia, there's always a negotiation, it seems. Exactly. And uh, let's see how this one will evolve. But it seems that we're moving. We're seeing a little bit of progress when it comes to the question of funding. Let's see whether or not that will be the case, because it's not the only stumbling block that it's at at the moment in Brussels when we look at further help for Ukraine. As we approach this very important European summit to do tomorrow and then uh, Thursday and Friday, I should say, There's two question marks on the table. Will the EU disburse 50 billion euros of cash to Ukraine? And then the second question is, will they start official negotiations with Kyiv in terms of Ukraine joining the EU at some point in the future? So as I said, we're starting to see a little bit of movement when it comes to the financing side of things. 
but the question of uh, accession talks is still a very, very delicate one. I had the chance to speak to the Ukrainian Deputy Prime Minister Olga Shefanishina, and she said that it will be very important to get a political message from the EU heads of state in terms of Ukraine's future in the EU. It causes uh, very, um, uh, very mixed feelings in Ukraine when we are ahead of the decision of the European leaders uh, to not knowing whether the the commitment will be sealed or disengagement will take place. The same situation, very intense in the discussions at the DC uh, in a in a in a Congress. So, and of course, we have uh, a lot of uh, attention um, uh, in the media uh, in terms of. Uh, the situation in the front and constant attacks on infrastructure uh, and uh, attacks to the civilian infrastructure. So, uh, so we need these messages to keep on being mobilized, and we need these decisions to seal, um, uh, to seal our plans, and to seal our commitment, and to seal our unity. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com or join us again on the show with me, Steve Sedgwick, and Karen Cho, weekdays on CNBC.